1: Let's turn in your Bible to Genesis 35, and first of all, let's begin in prayer. Father, we look to you now and pray that you would, Lord, open our eyes that we may see wondrous things out of your word today, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so Genesis 35, verse 16, this passage here on the death of Rachel. And they journeyed from Bethel, and there was but a little way to come to Ephrath, and Rachel travailed, and she had hard labor. And it came to pass when she was in hard labor that the midwife said unto her, fear not, thou shalt have this son also. And it came to pass as her soul was in departing, for she died, that she called his name Benoni, but his father called him Benjamin. And Rachel died and was buried in the way to Ephrath, which is Bethlehem. And Jacob set a pillar upon her grave. That is the pillar of Rachel's grave unto this day. Okay, now, in our last study, you remember how we saw that here comes Jacob's caravan, and it's traveling now. It's set out from Bethel. It's on the way to Bethlehem when we read this tragedy that happened here in verse 16 where it says here that they were journeying from Bethel, and that just a little way, just a little way to come before they get to to Ephraim to Bethlehem, and and Rachel goes into this hard labor, and it must have been a terrifically hard labor. I mean, uh, because it's really stated at the end of verse seventeen. I mean sixteen, and then it's picked up again in verse seventeen when it just it, it says that she has this hard labor. So we get the idea here as we're reading this: Rachel's afraid of dying, she's afraid of dying, and the midwife picks up on that she knows that Rachel is afraid of dying. So the midwife just tries her best to get Rachel to not be afraid, to try to distract her from all the pain and the impending death that she was looking at. And so the midwife, she tries this and she tries to get her thoughts away from herself, away from her her dying and to the son. You're going to have this son also. It's just like you said about Joseph you're gonna, that he'll add to me under the sun. Look, Rachel, it's happening. Isn't that wonderful? That's what she's doing. And so the midwife now, she's telling Rachel, don't be afraid, and she's talking to a person who's dying. But we're told in verse 18 that as Rachel was dying, that she gives a name, this is like her last words, of Benoni in verse 18 there. It came to pass as her soul was in departing, for she was died that she called his name Benoni that her father is okay then goes and changes that okay that's another part but the naming here and the renaming of the son it's important it's important for us and but what really captures our attention as we're looking at this is in verse 18 when it describes her soul was in departing we've never seen that before we've never seen that before in the book of Genesis this statement about dying. The soul was in departing. I mean, this is the Bible's description of death. It's the departure of the soul. It's so interesting for us because, you know, if this was just a historical account about what happened to Rachel here, then it would have been, in a normal way, it just would have said she was dying. That's all. But the Bible, this is the wonderful thing about the Bible. The Bible just doesn't report for us historical events or what happened in the past. The Bible uses those to teach us what we didn't know. It teaches us what we didn't know. I mean, God has using this account of Rachel's death to teach us something we didn't know. And, and he's using this account of Rachel's death to give us a certain light about death. Yeah. And what we learned from this account, and what is stated here, is death is not an extinction of the person. Death is not an annihilation of the person. I mean, after death, a person is preserved because death is a departure of the person from the body. Death is a departure of the soul from the body. That's new. That's the information for us. Death is a change in the state of a person. There's so much deception today when it comes to what happens to a person when they die. I mean, books have been written by adults and even by a child. You know, they're all claiming to have died and they come back from death. And so we can all know what happens to a person when they die. I mean, radical Islamists today, suicide bombers, base what they do on the deception of what they believe is gonna to happen to them after they die, when they die. Many people believe that when you die, that you just cease to exist. You become extinct, you become annihilated. I remember an Israeli woman, I told you about her, her name was Adina, and my wife and I met her at the hotel pool in Rancho Mirage, and she had just lost her husband, and with tears in her eyes, she said to us, I just want to know where he is right now, that's all. I just wanna know where he is right now. So where can a person find out what happens at death? Well, verse 18 is helping us in, in many other places in the Bible that teach us the truth about what happens. You know, you kinda of think about this, you think about the deception that's in the world and how people really don't know and it's verses like 18, verse 18 here, that really make us appreciate the Bible for the light that it is. Yeah, and, and, and when we hear what people really believe about what happens at death, compared to what the Bible says happens to a person at death, we get impressed with the condition of lost man today. A lost man who does not turn to the Bible for answers. You know, there's one word, there's one word that's used to describe the lost and that's the in the Bible, and that's the word darkness. Darkness. That's the and there's just this this whole aspects of darkness, darkness that invades the soul. You know, there is a horror in darkness. You know, we saw that in Genesis 15 12. Genesis 15 12, when Abraham says he fell into this deep sleep. It says when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram and lo, and horror of great darkness fell upon him. There is a darkness, there is a horror in darkness. And so what Abraham saw and when he was in this deep sleep here and what was what was gonna happen to his people, the Jewish people when they were in Egypt is called uh, not just a darkness, not just a great darkness, it's called a horror of great darkness, and that horror, that concept, the horror of great darkness leads us to understand there is a place of eternal darkness. There is a place of eternal darkness. The Lord Jesus Christ spoke about this often in Matthew 25, 30, for example, when he was giving the parable, he said, cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer Darkness uses that word outer. Outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There is a place of eternal darkness, and it's described with the term outer darkness. Why is it called outer darkness? Because it's away from God. It's out from God. It's outer darkness. That's how it's. And how is it entered into? It's entered into because there is a casting or a thrusting into this darkness. There's a casting, and it's described by, this is the Bible words that's being used here, casting and thrusting in Matthew 25, 30. Again, the verse we were just talking about, and cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You know, this, this word, cast, it's pretty dramatic. You know, in Matthew 5, 19, speaks about the whole body should be cast into hell. In Mark 9, 54, cast into hell, into the fire, which won't be quenched. The children, of Matthew 8, 12, Matthew 8, 12, he's lamenting about the Jewish people when he says the children of the kingdom, that's how he's calling them, the children of the kingdom shall be cast into outer darkness. This breaks his heart. The weeping, gnashing of teeth, Matthew thirteen forty two, And they shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's a, it's a pretty graphic, pretty graphic picture there. You know, cast, you know, you, know, cast, you I'm gonna take my last page on this because there's only two words on that. You know, that's cast. You know, now I gotta go get my notes. So the point is, that's what it means, you know, to cast. It's this refuse, it's this idea there's trash and, and and you cast the garbage away. See? And but the word thrust—that's even more graphic of getting something just away from us, which is casting. You know, when if somebody comes to you and you know, and, and, well, you don't do this. You're nice people, but anyway, someone will come and they'll push them away. That's thrust. You know, cast is that, but thrust. You know, it, 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 pushing another person away with a force—it's called a thrust. And that's the word that's used in Luke 10, 15. And thou, Capernaum, which art exalted to heaven, shall be thrust down to hell. In Luke 13, 28, Luke 13, 28, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you shall see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and you yourselves thrust out. It's that push away. There is a hopelessness. There is a despair There is a hopelessness in darkness that's described in Matthew four sixteen. Matthew four sixteen. The people which sat in darkness and saw great light, and to them which sat in the shadow of the region and the shadow of death, light has sprung up. See, that's really something. You think about people sitting in darkness. You know how you know that scene comes to mind. You know those horrible things that happened back in Pennsylvania. Where, where the mines collapsed and the people were trapped in there. And, and, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a picture of people sitting in darkness and, and giving up all hope and despair, trapped under the ground with no light, and all they can do is just sit in utter despair and hopelessness. That's the hopelessness. There is a hopelessness in darkness. There is a pain in darkness is so what we've been describing here in Matthew eight twelve, the children of the kingdom being cast out there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth it's that weeping it's that gnashing of teeth that's the pain of darkness it's not just a physical pain but really the gnashing of teeth brings to mind this frustration and there is a frustration of darkness by the way why am I describing all this because for one thing, to make us appreciate the darkness that we've been delivered from, to make us compassionate for the, the people who are still in this darkness. Now, but there's this frustration of darkness. You know, it's a frustration. You want so much to get out. You want so much to get out of the darkness you're not able to. And as a result, this incredible state of frustration, this gnashing of teeth. And then there's, there's actually an identity. Of darkness, an identity of darkness. Darkness is not just a condition; it's an identity. Where it says in Ephesians five eight, for ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord? Walk as children of light. You know, normally you wouldn't say that. Normally you'd say something like, "You were in darkness." It doesn't say that. It says, it, it, "It says you were darkness. You were darkness. That was your identity." And then there are rulers of darkness, there are powerful rulers in darkness that are spoken of in Ephesians six twelve. for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, against principalities, and against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness, high places. Darkness is not just a state that a person sort of passively falls into. There are rulers of darkness that with great power actively push the lost into darkness. And as we said here, there is a power of darkness. It's a power of darkness that's described in Colossians 1.13. Colossians 1.13, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and has trans- translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. The power of darkness is so strong that in that verse it says that only God can deliver a person from the power of darkness. The person can't just wake up and just say, well, I think I want to get out of darkness. It's only by God because there is a bondage in darkness. There is a bondage in darkness in Matthew 22, 13, Matthew 22, 13. Then said the king to the servants, bind him hand and foot and take him away and cast them into outer darkness, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's a scene described there, is where a person's hands and their feet are tied up before they're cast into this outer darkness. There's a terror. There's a terror in darkness. Proverbs 4.19 speaks about it. Proverbs 4.19, the way of the wicked is as darkness they know not at what they stumble you know, it's terrifying to trip in the dark. It's terrifying to stumble in the dark because you weren't expecting that and you can't see. And all of a sudden you have this unexpected fall and you forget about it. You know, I, I had a, a PET scan and they said, okay, you got a little spot there in the back and they looked more careful. And they said, oh, you broke your rib. They said, did you fall? I said, no, I don't remember falling. And I talked to my friend. He says, yeah, don't you remember? We talked about it. So I forgot about it. Okay, so because why? Because it's terrifying, you know, you fall. You don't want to expect it. See, Matthew twenty two thirteen. Matthew twenty two thirteen. when it says that, it says that the king, the king bind him hand and foot, cast him into outer darkness, weeping, gnashing teeth. It's the king who commands the person to be cast into darkness because it's a judgment. There is a judgment of darkness. There is an, in, there is an intentional preparation. There is an intentional reservation of darkness, you know, it, it describes this in 2 Peter 2.17. 2 Peter 2.17 says, talks about these people. They, they say these certain people are wells without water, clouds that are carried with a tempest, to whom is reserved the mist of darkness. Sorry, I didn't say it right. To whom the mist of darkness is reserved forever. It says it that way. To whom the mist of darkness is reserved forever. Reserved in Jude 1.13, Jude 1.13, it says, it talks again, raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame, wandering stars, to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. And then it goes on in, in, in Revelation 21.8, same theme, Revelation 21.8, the fearful, the unbelieving, the abominable, murderers, whoremongers, sorcerers, idolaters, all liars, shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And again, the Lord spoke about this idea of prepared or reserved darkness in Matthew 25, 41. Matthew 25, 41. Then shall he say unto them on the left hand, depart from me, accursed! into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Hell and darkness is not unintentional it's intentional words you know the words we've been reading here in second 2 peter 2:17 2, to whom is to whom the mist of darkness is reserved in jude 1:13 to whom to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever in revelation 21:8 have their part in the lake of fire matthew 25:41 everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels you know when you go to a restaurant you know, you go to a restaurant, you get a call in a reservation, and, and, you, and, you, and you, you show up at the restaurant, and you give your name, and then and they say, Oh, yes, we have your table that has been prepared and reserved for you. All right? And so these words that we've been reading here, whom, reserved, their part, prepared for, they're all telling us the same thing. It tells that everyone has a place prepared and reserved for them after death, everyone has a place that has been specifically, intentionally prepared and reserved for them, either in the Father's house in heaven or in the darkness of hell, depending on what they do with the Lord Jesus Christ. But there is a place, there is a place which is prepared and reserved. And there is a preparation and a reservation of darkness. Now, this is pretty depressing, everything I've been saying here, right? So now you're all ready to start crying. Because, okay, fortunately, this is just one side of the story, you know? And so there's another side of the picture here. There's another side as well about darkness. And this side is there is hope to get out of darkness. Why? Because of the mission of the Lord Jesus Christ. It says in Luke 179, Luke 179, it says, his mission was to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. It's the mission of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's described, why did you come? He came to give light to them who are hopelessly sitting in the despair of darkness. And so, you know, when he came to earth, it's as if he said, okay, here I am. Now, where are the ones who are in darkness? I came for them. That's my job. So, and there is the following that delivers from a life of darkness. There is the following that delivers from the life of darkness. In John 8, 12, it says, then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. See, in this verse, the Lord Jesus Christ is promising that if a person follows him, he's not gonna walk in darkness. He's gonna have the light of life And then there is in the Bible a believing into that delivers from the state of darkness. There is a believing into that that delivers from the state of darkness. This is John 12, 46. John 12, 46, when he said, I am come into the world that whosoever believeth in me, believeth on me, as it says, should not abide in darkness or believeth into me, should not abide in darkness. Abiding in darkness Sitting in darkness—that's a terrible state, but that state could be changed by believing into the Lord Jesus Christ. Then there's a command. There's a command that dispels the darkness, and that's given to us in Second Corinthians four six. Second Corinthians four six. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, you know, no one just comes out of the state of terrible darkness, and you know, no, it doesn't happen that way, you know, no no more could the world of creation say, you know, I don't like being in the state of darkness, I think I'll just spontaneously make some light around here, it's a little dark, you know. It it took the command of God, where both require the command of God, that command, let there be light, that's the command of God, that's the command of light that dispels the darkness in creation, dispels the darkness in the heart, and God makes that command to every person who turns to the Lord Jesus Christ. When a person believes himself into the Lord Jesus Christ, then God, he, he, God does this. He says, light for that soul. That's what he does. And all of a sudden, the person sees, oh, the Lord Jesus Christ is God. I see. Oh, I see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But for our part, we respond to the calling because there is a calling out of darkness there is a calling out of darkness. That's 1 Peter 2.9, 1 Peter 2.9. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So God's call to repent of our sins, to turn from our sins, that's a personal calling for us to come out of darkness. And the more we love the Lord Jesus Christ, the more we will make it our personal mission to hate sin and to turn away from sin.
0: Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at God or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org, Cantor at org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800 247 3051. Tom Cantor, founder of Israel Restoration Ministries and our Bible teacher on the Friendship with God radio program, has created the Friendship with God Study and Reference Bible. It's a King James Study and Reference Bible with over 2,200 total pages, 13 and a half point large font, and has over 600 pages of Bible helps and resources. It has Hebrew root notations in the Old Testament and over 30,000 Bible column and inline scripture references. It also includes daily bread reading notations, a tour of the Bible scripture journey, 12 custom made full color maps and a full color nine page history of Israel timeline map not to mention incredible concordance and the most popular Bible Scripture References section, Bible Reference Help section, and hundreds and hundreds of other personalized pages from Tom Cantor to grow your friendship with God. It's printed on Finland thin paper printing technology and covered in a black lambskin leather cover with gold lettering. To order your Friendship with God study and reference Bible, go to our homepage on friendshipwithgod.org. friendshipwithgod.org.